Uh, I want to encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Um, Exodus chapter 20. As I mentioned earlier, we have begun a set of sermons in what we're calling the Ten Words. That's the way it's written in the original language of the Bible. It's called the Ten Words. We often call them Ten Commandments, um, and there's nothing wrong with calling them either one. Um, But we're referring to them as the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. These texts form really the moral foundation of what it means to be God's people. And pastorally, I've been interested in getting into these words with you, really for this pastoral concern that we don't necessarily, as God's people, really understand obedience. See, the Bible will paint obedience to God as the sweetest possible thing that we could do with our life to obey him. I think often, if you're like me, you kind of think obedience to God is something you're kind of supposed to do because it's the right thing to do, and it is, but the scriptures will coax us to see over and over again that obedience to God gives us the deepest possible joy. And so tonight is really like a part two of last week's part one. Last week, we looked at the command to have no other gods before God. And this second word is a lot like it, but it's particularly focused on not mixing loyalty to other things alongside loyalty to God. And we'll talk about that as we go. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 20, and um, I will also be reading from a New Testament text, which is our custom and grace to read from an opposite text In your worship guide, it tells you that I'll be reading from 1 John, but I have changed my mind. I'm going to be reading from John 4 instead, but nobody freak out, okay? So here are these words from God's word from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Verses 4 to 6 will be our sermon text. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, and I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And then from John chapter 4. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in, that, Jerus- that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment and in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, our, our prayer is in your kindness and mercy, you would take these words that are in your word, Lord, the words that I've prepared, by the power of your spirit, you would shine light on them and shine light in our hearts and use these words to convict, Lord, but also to comfort to the end that we would have great hope today in our Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So my favorite food of all time is easily a cheeseburger of almost any kind. Is anybody else with me that it's pretty much the perfect food? When I said that, people had a grin on their face like, mmm. So you agree with me. And, and, and every now and then, I'll be at a restaurant and I'll see the burger on the menu and it'll say something like the whatever, whatever burger. And then the burger will be described with words followed by commas. So for example, two Angus beef patties, comma, American cheese, comma, grilled onions, comma, Wickles, comma, special sauce, period. And every now and then, I don't know if you've noticed it, there will be an asterisk. And after the asterisk will come these words, no substitutions, please. Now, in that moment, the burger chef is trying to tell you that they have designed this burger to be eaten. They desire and they even deserve this burger to be eaten in its actual form that was invented in the mind of the chef. And they're not interested in you changing out things. So if you don't like grilled onions and rather put a tomato, tough. Because in the chef's mind, that kind of ruins the whole dish. Now, if you're the kind of person to disregard that and ask for substitutions anyway, I can't help you, <laughs> okay? That's another talk for another night. And I know that all illustrations eventually break down, but go with me here. The Lord God, 
the maker of heaven and earth, the one who does not live in a temple made by human hands because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord, who is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, The Lord God has a particular way that he desires and deserves to be worshipped. And he is not interested in substitutions in that. And I think that's a good way to think of this second word. If this first word or the first commandment last week is to have no other gods before God, this second commandment is like it, but it's adding this nuance of not only worshiping other gods, but but perhaps just as importantly, to not mix devotion to other things alongside devotion to the Lord as if that's no big deal. But instead, God desires and deserves to be worshipped in a very particular manner. And to do otherwise in this text, and you heard me read it, is to hate him. It's really strong words from our God. So here's what we're going to do together. This sermon really is simple, and it has two parts. First thing we're going to do is we're going to ask a question, what is the situation here? In the ancient world in which this word was given, what is sort of the ancient situation, ancient practices of religion, what's the situation that this word is speaking into? And what you're going to find, to go ahead and give you a hint, is it's not that ancient of a situation. It's going to be stunningly contemporary to you and I tonight. So the first question is going to be, what is the situation? The second question, and and very importantly, is what's the invitation? Because if you remember, as we talked about last week, all of these commandments, all of these words are actually an invitation from our God to the sweetest possible thing you can imagine, obedience. We're going to talk about these two questions, and as we go, I think one main idea is going to become clear to you, and this is the main thing I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else I say, this is it. This text teaches us that the Lord desires and deserves to be worshipped, undiluted, unmixed, as he actually is, and he is dead serious about that. The Lord deserves and desires to be worshipped as he actually is unmixed, undiluted, and he is dead serious about that. So let's take a look. Question number one, what exactly is going on here? What's the situation? Look with me again at verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. This word begins with this commandment from God to not carve things, 
not to make these tiny statuey image things and not to bow down and, and worship those things. And just listen to the language. Don't make a likeness or image of anything that is in the heaven above or anything is in the earth beneath or is anything that is under the water under the earth. The idea is don't make an image of any created thing. Heaven above, on the earth, the water under the earth, that's kind of Hebrew for the whole thing, the whole created order. So what's the deal here? What's the situation here? Well, there's a few things. First of all, there is probably something about the idea that you and I as creatures, we will always have a tendency to see, to, we we'll always have this tendency for our worship to flow toward created things over and against it flowing with everything we are toward our creator God. That's a human tendency to look around horizontally and find created things to, to kind of give our hearts devotion to over and against the creator himself. That's a human tendency. This word is saying, don't do that. But there's more. There's also this human tendency, and see if, see if you can relate with this, see if you can connect this. There's also this tendency that human people have to want something tangible, predictable, visible, touchable, controllable, something that we can take and worship and have it all on our own terms, and particularly something that we can see with our eyes. See, a biblical scholar I really admire talks about how eyes in the Bible are judging and perceiving instruments. So in other words, we want to be in control of things that we can see and predict, and we will actually take something we can control, even if that control thing is a bad thing, often over against the wildness of God as he actually is. And I think that's because, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you noticed the way that worshiping the Lord as he actually is, is an all-consuming thing? Like it requires everything. It requires your thinking, it requires your feeling, it requires your embodied action, it requires your emotional life. Have you noticed before how God requires us to be 100% all in, unmixed, undiluted, devoted to him? And that's why against the wildness of that, to have something tangible and predictable that we can kind of control, will always have a deep appeal. But there's something even deeper here going on. See, this second word is really about the mixing. So the idea of chasing after other little g gods, if you will, while at the same time showing up to worship the Lord and mixing things about the little g gods alongside worshiping the Lord, it's about the mixing. 
You see, in a fancy word for this mixing, it's called religious syncretism. Now, syncretism is, a, is kind of a fancy word, okay? Henry, my 10-year-old, um, is here. Do you, do you know that word, syncretism? Okay. So let me explain. Religious syncretism is the mixing of other religions together. And see, that was actually often the sin of God's people throughout the pages of the Old Testament. See, ancient people knew that the little statue wasn't the God, but they believed that they performed certain rituals in front of the little statue that the God's presence would somehow then fill that statue. Again, they wanted to try to perform rituals. They wanted something touchable and controllable, something they could be sure of. But they wanted to shortcut dealing with the deity as the deity actually is. And they wanted to change it for a shortcut kind of substitute. Now, the, the greatest example of this tendency of God's people to do the syncretism thing, to mix the thing, comes just 12 chapters later when we get the golden calf incident. See, God's people have been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've been given these commandments. They walk around for a little while, and then before you know it, they're literally in Exodus chapter 32, worshiping a golden cow. But here's what's really interesting about the golden calf incident. You can read about Exodus 32. It's, it's in the Bible. It's a wild story. But, but they melt down jewelry to form a golden cow, and then they want to use that golden cow or golden calf as a way to summon the Lord's presence. They even get the golden cow, and, and, and Aaron says to the people, this is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. They wanted a way to worship the Lord, but in this kind of tangible, controllable, easy form that they could kind of call his presence and his presence leave. And they, they wanted to control God on their own terms. And then alongside in the Exodus 32 incident, the golden calf incident, as they begin to worship the Lord in this form of this golden calf, they begin to do all sorts of sinful and lewd behaviors, pagan practices, but claiming it was a feast to the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not that they just disregarded the Lord for a cow. It's that they wanted the Lord and they wanted the pagan cow stuff at the same time. They wanted to mix the thing. And, and, and isn't this what we do? Like, isn't this what we do? Last week, I gave you guys this visual of the fact that we sometimes want to think of a list of priorities and the Lord being at the top. And that's just not what God's talking about. God's talking about him being all-consuming everything and then everything else being a way to be loyal and to worship him. And in the same way, this text tonight is about our tendency to want to be faithful to the Lord, but to want to take a little drop of this false God and to want to take a little drop of that false God and to begin to dilute the thing to where it's no longer the Lord we're worshiping anymore. In other words, 
The pastoral concern I have for you and for me is, is not, it's not that in your purse right now, you have a little like Hindu statue. That's, that's, I, I doubt that's true. My pastoral concern is, is not that tomorrow morning you'll wake up and you'll bow down to Mecca and pray. I mean, I, I doubt you'll do that tomorrow. What my concern is, is that we would take fidelity to lesser things and begin to drop it and mix it with our fidelity to the Lord to the point we're not really worshiping the Lord anymore. So I want to try to talk to you about that practically before I give you an invitation. And, I, and to do so, I'm going to have to say some strong things to you. But I'm going to say them and just know that when I do, I'm saying them to me also. So listen. You know, I spent the last two weeks reading about sort of the Canaanite gods that were around the surrounding nations around Israel in Exodus. I spent two weeks, there are 234 Canaanite deities, and I, spent, and I was able to get information on 167 of them, okay? I'm, I'm not gonna tell you about 167 Canaanite gods right now. I'm gonna give you the highlights of what the Canaanite gods were like and what they promised. And then I'm gonna help, hope that as I explain that, you'll see it's not that ancient, okay? This is gonna be hard to hear. So for example, the kind of king Canaanite god was the Baal. In the, in the Baal, you can see statues of the Baal, like, like there's a statue of a little, anyway. And the, the, Baal, the Baal in statues and in depictions, the Baal is leaning left foot forward, right foot back. He's got a club and he's got a war helmet on. He's a warrior god. But the thing about the Baal is that the Baal promised defense and security to you. He be the one to make you safe. Now, he also might be the one to hit you, and you kind of never knew what he might do. But he was this violent warrior God, but, but if you pleased him just the right way, he could make you safe. There was another God of, of wealth and possessions. And that God promised that if you would just get enough money in your bank account, all your dreams would come true. And you could find any kind of security you were looking for if you just pleased that God. There was another God that was the God of kind of like vocational success. Like if you could dance the right dance in front of that God, then your career would be blessed. There was another God of just kind of discord and chaos. This God would sow disagreement and disunity among groups of people in order to break their unity. And he'd, he'd do that all the time. There was a God, a Canaanite God, that would always want you to be in a hurry. Rush, 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 be in a hurry, be in a hurry. You gotta keep moving and exhaust you. Deeper and deeper and deeper. 
There was another God of of drunkenness. There was a God of sensual or sexual pleasure. There was a God that would try to stir up one ethnic group against another ethnic group. These spirits that would want to sow discord and violence and division. There was these spirit gods that would want you to escape your normal reality. It's not so ancient, is it? Y'all, when I was younger, when I was like a teenager, the talk was always, our culture is getting more, our, our culture is getting less and less religious. Now that I'm almost 40 and I've lived as an adult, I've seen the last 20, 25 years, our culture is getting more and more spiritual all the time. The Apostle Paul would call it rulers and principalities that we wrestle against. And if you and I think that some of the pressures we feel to do the career things, to chase the money things, to to chase the sensual pleasure thing, to try to do all the things we can do so we can be safe and we can be secure. And And if we think that some of that stuff that we're pursuing is just sort of, I don't know, the way things are in 2022 and they're not somehow being pressed upon us by dark forces, you and I are kidding ourselves. Paul called it rulers and principalities that we wrestle against. And this word in particular is the Lord saying very clearly, if you're you're led astray and you're trying to mix devotion to all that stuff with devotion to me, he says very clearly, you are showing me that you hate me. Whenever God speaks that strongly, we really need to listen. Look at verse five. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children in the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The Lord is saying is if you mix and dilute devotion to me with devotion to these other things, you are showing that you hate me. And he's saying that my judgment will come to you undiluted and unmixed. But look at what he says next. And this is where we're turning to the invitation. Verse six, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So what's the invitation tonight? The invitation clearly here is a summons to repent, to turn a different way And as I've given you the image so many times, repentance is sort of, we're going 75 miles an hour down that way. We have a chance to get off the interstate, cross the interstate, and begin coming back the other way toward Christ. And listen to Christ's promises. Just listen to what Jesus has done. Listen to what Jesus has done for people like you and me who have the tendency to worship lesser things or even as bad to mix worship of God with lesser things. Listen to what Jesus has done for people like us. Can I tell you? 
Can I tell you? Am I allowed to tell you right now? So the Bible teaches us that Jesus has made this invisible God visible. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. If you ever wanted to know what the invisible God looked like, felt like, sounded like, the scriptures say that we can look to Jesus. And this Jesus has even given us gifts in his word and at his table where he promises to us his presence reliably. We don't have to dance some sort of dance a certain way to get him to bless us. He's promised us his presence reliably. And as if that were not enough, this same Jesus goes on the cross to die. And the book of Colossians tells us that he dies in order to make us holy. Even more, he's given us image bearers. Men and women who are sitting around you that you can love and serve and honor as a way to be obedient to him. And as if that were not enough, he promises, and I read it for you earlier from John 4, he promises that there is a day coming, and it's even here now, where he is making worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit, what Jesus means when he says in spirit is wholehearted worshipers with their body, mind, soul, and spirit. Wholehearted worshipers. The Father is seeking those worshipers and he's making them according to spirit and truth. Truth being, he's making worshipers who worship him fully according to how he actually is. If you belong to Jesus tonight, by the power of God's spirit, you are being made into the kind of person who will worship him rightly. Hallelujah. In the book of Hosea, the Lord makes this promise to his people. They were famous for mixing and they were famous for the syncretism things. And here's the promise he made to his people. In fact, I'm just gonna read it for you. I wasn't planning to do that, but let me just read it for you. Listen to God's promises to wayward worshipers like you and me. Just listen to this and take it in. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my Baal. In other words, you won't mix it anymore. For I will remove the names of the Baals from your mouth and they shall be remembered by their names no more. And I will make a covenant with them on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and in steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. On that day, I'll have mercy or no mercy. And I'll say to not my people, you are my people. And you shall then say to me, you are my God. 
The Lord desires and deserves to be worshiped, undiluted, unmixed as he actually is. And the promise here tonight is he is making you, even now as we yield to him, he's making you into that kind of worshiper. That is good news. Let's pray. Lord, I'm mindful that the pressure and the darkness and the temptation and the luring away will occur even before we walk out of this room. Lord, so we ask that you would be good on your promises to make us new and different, that you would give to us the gift of repentance, that you would give to us the gift of obedience, that you would help us worship you in spirit and in truth, and that you would make us into those kind of worshipers for the glory of your name. And I pray that each of us, to whatever degree you would see fit, could taste the joy of that kind of obedience. Lord, this week, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen.